Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 169 of Yogaland. Jason is here with me today. Hi, Jason. Hi, Andrea. We thought we would have some fun today. So it's a change of pace from our turgid, dramatic... Mix it up a little bit. Monotonous, depressing. And talk about when students behave in kind of a wacko, wacko way. But before, that's such a weird phrase that I just said. But before we do that, I want to just acknowledge my assistant that is here with me today. Are you feeling like she's helpful to me and not as helpful to you or the dog? a little more, you know? I think you're just wanting to let everyone that listens to the podcast know how much more our dog likes you than me. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it would be an opportunity okay. given that I look over and she's like sitting literally at your feet. Right next to me. Always. Feet. Little yeah. baby. Hi, Ginge. I also want to just talk about what you're up to these days in terms of your live in-person events. You've got a few things coming up. Yeah, by the time you release this, I'll probably have been in D.C. And then I have Columbus, which I think is sold out, and Portland, which is sold out. So the rest of this stuff is full. Sorry. Sorry, guys. But next February, San Francisco, Module 1, 300-hour training. It's about halfway full. Coming so, right up. Yeah, and it's coming right up. I mean, it's the thing is, is it's what, three and a half or four months off, which seems like kind of a long time for some, but it's there's so much between now and then with the holidays. So mm-hmm. if you are thinking about joining, join. And if you have any questions that the answers are not obvious and apparent to you on our website, then send us an email and we will help sort things out. And... If you haven't already, go check out our newly redesigned website. I'm just going to toot our own horn, jasonyoga.com. It took us about a year it <laughs> to, did. to do it. Let's be honest. It took you about a year. Yeah. I didn't do that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, there's a lot of things I did, mm-hmm. but you were really the main project manager. So thank you for everything. You're welcome. You and the pages that describe the trainings, I think now are much better. That was really the, if we think about sort of why we do certain projects, we took on this project because we, I just really wanted to make those pages that describe your big trainings a lot clearer and easier to navigate. Yeah. So if you are curious about this training, any of the trainings, go to our website and You'll find the training pages really easily. And there are big FAQ sections at the bottom. So we get a lot of questions over and over and over again. So before you type in that email and send me that question, go check out the FAQ section. And there's a bunch of video content that describes the content of the program and kind of the focal points and so forth. So much more informative. Also, the podcast page and the blog page are just so much better they laid out so than pretty. they used to be. Mm-hmm. So those of you that come to our website and us for free content and resources, even if you are not going to do a training, come to our site and learn what you want to learn. It's a it's much easier to to sort through the podcast. And the yeah, it's better organized. It looks beautiful. Yeah, we want to thank Shauna at Brand Habit for heading up the design and just doing an awesome job and kind of combining our projects a little bit more, the Yoga Land branding and the Jason Yoga branding. Yeah. Find out more about us yeah. on there. Okay. Well, let's just dive in then to our topic for the day. So I wrote that blog, When Students Behave Badly, 
uh, how long ago? A year, two, three? I have literally no sense of time. But I wrote it actually because of the amount of questions that come up in various trainings that I do about managing idiosyncratic behavior. Yeah, that's that a nice happened. Way of yeah, it happens amongst our students. Mm-hmm. So before we have a chuckle together and kind of talk constructively about what we can do in situations that are strange or actually in some ways they're it's not strange because they're yeah, challenging. I want to have a moment of empathy, which is to say that like we're all weird. You know what I mean? Like humans humans are just we're kind of idiosyncratic species especially when you put us in a group mm-hmm. and especially when you put us in a culture that often is a do whatever feels good kind of public environment. Well, it's weird because it's this combination of it being a very quiet environment. That's the I, hope. And then also good vibes, whatever feels yeah, good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And there's just a lot of teachers who part of their skill is being like highly permissive and encouraging of students to like do what feels good. That is not mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not my focal point. I'm a little bit more structured than that. But I think that several of the things that we're going to talk about are directly related to more kind of subtle factors of various teachers having phases of class where they're like, just do whatever feels good for five minutes. Because I think that what that, what that does is that starts to build up an environment where... Students just literally do whatever feels good, even if it seems like the socially appropriate situation or not. Okay, let's just get more a little more concrete. So one of the things you're kind of talking about is like if you're teaching and one or more, perhaps more students are just doing something totally different. In totally, the doing their own thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, and it's uh, FYI, it's never in the corner. <laughs> it's always smack dab dead center front of the room. There is this awesome woman at Rusty's old studio that would stand by the window. I, th- I think she probably liked the cool air. Sure. But she would totally do her own thing. Oh, yeah. And, by, and it was like over okay. by the window. It was adorable. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of the first thing of people doing their own thing midstream. And I would say that this is the most single common question that comes up amongst teacher trainees. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do I do? When so-and-so is at the front of the room not doing what I'm teaching, Mm -hmm. but they're just freelancing. So part of my point is I think in some part this stems culturally from an environment that many teachers often encourage their students to do what they want to do, which is a good idea. Probably for like a but period it, but of 30 it blends, seconds. Right, right. But, but, not, it, but, it, but so what oh it is, but God. so I think that that behavior, it bleeds <clears throat> over. Mm-hmm. Because what you learn in one yoga class, you assume is like the normative behavior across yoga culture classes. Mm-hmm. Maybe not, maybe not, but regardless. So when students are off doing their own thing, and I did this, I did one of those, um, I haven't done them in a while, but one of those ginger memes where she's looking kind of afoul and disappointed and like, what's your deal? About a student in the front of the room doing chin stand every vinyasa, even though they didn't know the difference between locust cobra or up dog, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes what you'll have is not only someone doing their own thing, but someone kind of freelancing well before they've stepped out of the box, well before they've learned what's in the box, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think one of the things that teachers have to deal with is 
whether or not the student that is just off on their own gig, whether or not that is either A, disruptive to the group, or B, whether or not they're doing something that is potentially injurious to themselves. Like a small example of this is the amount of people that uninvited in my classes go into Shirshasana 2, tripod headstand, from wide-legged standing forward fold. So 99.9% of the time, I don't really care because the pose is being done well. Mm -hmm. But there are those periods of time where someone is not only freelancing, but they're freelancing and they're doing it in a way that it's really unskillful and potentially dangerous. Mm -hmm. So as a teacher, I have to decide whether or not like, okay, this person is off doing their own trip and they came to my class, but clearly they just wanted to do their own class. Do I step in? Do I assert myself? And if I do, like, how do I actually deal with that situation? So I have to decide whether or not like, this is an injury situation, in which case I will tell them to come out of the pose immediately. So wait, do you concern yourself, like in that headstand example, to me, I would care because they were potentially going to fall and injure someone else. Yes. Do you also stop them if they might, I don't know, hurt their own shoulder? Yeah, if they have a like really, that? if you are coming to a flow class and you have an undeveloped chaturanga, that's life. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's just, I mean, that, you know, that's part You're of learning. Yeah, You're it's learning. part of learning, right? I say this in other contexts, which is you have to be willing to be bad at something for a while before you're good at something. Mm-hmm. So if someone is in a pose like Shirshasana 2 and they're just kind of freelancing and doing it and it's a really bad pose, I will without question kind of walk over and say, please come out of that pose now. And I'll say it as many times I need to have them come out. And I'm not worried whether or not I'm offending or hurting their feelings. Mm-hmm. Because in that situation, I feel like I have to take a protective role, mm-hmm. both of themselves, but also of the people around them. Mm-hmm. But that's a pretty rare scenario, right? So then the other thing that I think teachers struggle with more frequently is not whether or not someone doing their own thing is injurious to that person or others, but whether or not it's disruptive to the group. Right. That's kind of what we went through at Yoga Journal because the classes were so small. So we would be in like this small conference room. There'd be like maybe nine people max, usually about six. And there were always a few in the bunch who liked to groove out in their own way. And it was a small room and you have someone like you're, everyone's facing the side of the room doing triangle pose. And they're literally, I don't know, in Natarajasana. Right, 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 right. And yeah, groaning at the same time. So we'll we'll get to the groans because that's my biggest pet peeve. Mm Mm-hmm. So what I have come to really think is that in most public classes, the person freelancing is... I love that you're using this word freelancing, by the way. Is this the first time you've ever... I'm I'm feeling like it's not exactly the right word, but I can't think of the word that you really want to be using, like MacGyver. (laughs) No, freelancing is a totally appropriate word for this. Freelancing. Yeah. Freelancing is... Okay. I know what freelancing is. There's multiple definitions of freelancing. So tell me your definition. Is that they're deciding to do what they want to do and how they want to do it when they want to do it. Okay. They're doing their own. It's another way of saying doing your own thing. Okay. Right? So in that situation, 
What I have come to realize is the teacher is much more sensitive to that behavior than anyone else in the room is because it feels like an undermining of their authority or their role. And it is, it is like, it's, it's a rude thing to do when it isn't suggested by the teacher. There's a certain amount of latitude. If I'm in half moon pose and I decide to reach up and catch my top foot and do Ardha Chandra Chapasana, that's not really it. But if everyone's in half moon pose and then I come into warrior three and start pressing into handstand and then try and lower from handstand into chin stand, like that is a scale of something that is a little bit beyond what is kind of a reasonable or normal thing to do, Mm -hmm. right? So what I would say is, it's actually that kind of thing is much less likely to irritate and affect the group of students. And it's much more likely to just be upsetting and an irritant to the teacher because the teacher, like it's a very vulnerable thing to stand in front of a room and try mm-hmm. to orchestrate things for 60 or 90 minutes. Yeah. And you always feel a little bit insecure anyways. And it is your job. The yoga classroom is the teacher's workplace, right? And when the people that have come to class aren't engaging, that's fitting into like uh, a really difficult thing. That's undermine. It might feel it has the potential to feel undermined. Yeah, yeah. And again, there's there's always some shade of gray area. But I'm going to give you an example. This is the example, and I've told this to many of my students for many years of the frog jumper. Have I ever told you the frog jumper? Probably. I don't remember. Oh, you would remember. Okay. So Not necessarily. Not with my brain. Okay. This was during a 300-hour training three years ago, okay? And during my 300-hour trainings in San Francisco, I maintained my public classes. And anyone that comes to my 300-hour training is allowed to come to the public class at night, but they're, they don't have to. It's, it's been a long day. So I was teaching at Yoga Churro Hill, which is where this tr- first training was. And there was probably 90 people in the room because there's like 60 people that regularly come. And then there was like 30 people from the training. And I noticed during the first Surya Namaskar A, someone right smack dab in the middle of the room, this this kind of like middle-sized guy. You know, you're in down dog and you're about to jump forward from Surya Namaskar A, from down dog into a standing front bend. So he's in down dog. And that part where I say inhale, bend the knees, exhale, look forward and jump. He walks his hands back to his feet, bends both of his knees. So he's now in Utskatasana on the back of his mat and jumps forward and lands on two feet. Huh. So he does this like from like a- down dog walks back, hands to feet, bends his knees, Utskatasana, jumps forward. Jumps forward with both feet. With both feet. Huh. Kind of like he's doing a two-footed broad jump. <laughs> and he was able to get from the back of his mat to the front. Oh, it's really easy. It's only six feet. Okay. Yeah. So you, you could do that. It's very simple. Just visualizing. Yeah. But he was remarkably heavy and loud. So this was like not a soft-footed thing. The first time it happened, like, I heard this big crash. (laughs) I didn't see it, but I heard this big crash. So then the second time I taught Suri Namaskar A, I looked over in that same direction and I saw what this guy was doing. And I could think to myself, well, he was modifying for the shoulders or blah, blah, blah. He wasn't. 
because everything else in class, he was loading up his shoulders in every possible way. But he just wanted to jump forward. Maybe he was working on his like quad ballistic strength or whatever it was. And I started to think that it was hilarious. Like I just started to think that this was a really funny situation. Like this was just a guy off on his own trip doing his thing. Mm -hmm. But I assumed that because I was sensitive to it, because I heard it from a mile away, that everyone would have noticed. So the next morning in class, and we probably he probably did this 10 times. I did more Surya Namaskar A's than usual because I thought it was hilarious. So the next morning in class, we were sitting there and I said, all right, let's talk about that guy in class last night. No one bit. Hmm. And I was like, I was like the frog jumper. The, 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 you, know, you guys, the guy that was working on his ballistics, the guy that was going from <laughs> Utkatasana and jumping forward. And there were only three people out of the 30 people that had attended from that teacher's group that noticed it. So this was like one of many examples, like if anyone is going to notice any freelancing, they're going to notice that, right? And so one of the things that teachers have to remember is how much more sensitive they are for idiosyncratic behavior than all of the other students in the room. I think it really depends. You don't think the teacher is more sensitive to what's happening in the group? I do think the teacher is more sensitive, but I think there are probably select students who are also very sensitive. And probably more than like that example is, I'm surprised to hear. I also think it depends on the size of the room. Maybe I had an an insensitive teacher (laughs) Well, you had a huge room, right? That was very crowded. That's different than when you're in the office of Yoga Journal where there's eight people And I mean, everyone noticed these people, like anyone from Yoga Journal who's listening right now that was with me at that time working there knows the people I am referring to because everyone noticed it. So, you know, I mean, but yes, clearly like in terms of how it affects you emotionally and like in in sort of a triggering your vulnerabilities way, it's going to affect the teacher more. Yeah. Yeah. So as the teacher, then you have to decide what you're going to do about it. And that is a remarkably difficult thing. Yeah. Because you have to determine in that moment, if it's a safety issue, you have to deal with it. If it's not a safety issue, but it's a group cohesiveness issue, then you have to figure out what to do. And if it's a group cohesiveness issue, you can't really deal with it in the moment because that's going to make for an even more awkward situation, right? You can't be like, Lucy, stop jumping forward from the back of your mat because that's going to make it more uncomfortable for Mm -hmm. the group. So you have to determine whether or not you want to have a conversation with that person and if they're a regular student of yours. And that can be a really difficult thing to do. I think that it's a very rare scenario where you have to actually address it, but there are scenarios where you are going to have to ask if you genuinely believe that it's that obtrusive to you or to the group that someone is just doing their own thing, then you're going to have to address it. I just have to inter- intercept, inter- what am I saying? Intervene. Interject. Interject, thank you, <laughs> for a moment because I remembered it was your class at Yoga Journal where you had everyone, it was back when you were 
you know, those classes were more like Iyengar based classes. You had everyone come over to like that little ledge. We were going to do something <laughs> with a prop and somebody who shall remain nameless didn't go over to the ledge. And we all had to like get, we were going to do camel or something. So we were all like sitting up on our knees and this person kicked I think into we were to a handstand and kicked me in the ribs and knocked the wind out of me. Yeah, I think we were doing a shoulder opener on the ledge. Mm-hmm. And so you were at like a 90 degree angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that So is that a- person learned the hard way. Yes. Because I like ran out of the room crying. It yes, was the most that. shocking thing that had ever happened to me in a yoga room. Yes. Shocking. It was well, unreal. I, arguably being kicked really hard should be the most shocking thing. <laughs> in the gut. So that's the most common one is someone just doing their own thing. So, okay. So if you do decide to talk to someone, you do it after class? Yes. Okay. And and you just got to keep it simple and quick. Like, hey, if you want to come to the class, I know that you like to do some of your own stuff. But it's actually really important to stay cohesive with the group. So I would like for you, if you're going to keep coming back to this class, to do what we're currently doing. Have you ever had anyone push back? I have never had that conversation. I've had other conversations. See, and again, here's where we're going all the way back that, so the frog jumper too, like he came to two classes. I don't have the personality or the teaching that invites that kind of student. Like it's very, very, very rare that a student will be consistent enough of mine and then also have like be a do your own thing kind of person. Because there's no time at any part of class where I abdicate like, hey, go for X amount of minutes just doing whatever feels good now. Mm -hmm. Like everything is for better and for worse. I teach in such a consistent and structured way that it just mostly... So you're saying not many of these people show up in your class. Yes. Okay. It it. mostly roots out Mm -hmm. that kind of more serial offender. Mm Mm-hmm. I have, however, paid someone $20 to leave a class. And was I there for that one? I think you were. Was it the person who was drunk? This was a New Year's Day class. Yeah. 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 It was a New Year's Day class. And at first, I thought he was just there in white shorts, but they weren't white shorts. They were just white underwear. Yeah. Yeah. And he was doing Nadi Shodhana, like, before class started. And I thought, like, okay, they're doing Nadi Shodhana before class started starts. Like, that's not my thing, but I get it. And then 10 minutes into class when we were doing sun salutations, they were still on the ground <laughs> doing Nadi Shodhana. <laughs> and so I just went up to him. It was New Year's Day. I think it might have said New Year's Eve, but it was New Year's Day. Yeah. And it was really clear to me that he had just been out all night. night. Yeah. And so I told him, I said, hey, you need to leave class now. And he looked at me kind of befuddled and I said, I'll give you 20 bucks. (laughs) So here's the thing. It's like, it was just the price of class. It was a $20 class. Oh. I was like, I'll give you 20 bucks. You give me your money back basically. He's like, I didn't tell him I'd give him his money back. Yeah. I told him I'd give him 20 bucks. And he's like, okay. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I said, just, there was Jane at the front. Oh my I said, God. Just tell Jane at the front. Jason says, like, 
give this guy $20 and he's leaving. <laughs> Gene was probably like, what is going and on? And it worked. Yeah. It worked. Mm-hmm. I have also told, so my bigger pet peeve than someone doing their own thing is moaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel so awkward. It makes me feel so uncomfortable. Goes, it so goes against like every part of your personality. It does. Yeah. Like I, I just can't think of a situation in like a public environment I would just. You would, never did acting classes as a child. I did not. There's um, a lot of weird, embarrassing things you do in acting classes to kind of get over yourself. It, it's not I, really. Okay, I, just, I, yeah. I, I get that. Yeah, it's a totally different scenario. Yeah, but. I also get that pigeon pose like feels really good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not saying like pigeon doesn't feel good. Well, Pavishta Konasana doesn't feel good. And am I happy that people feel good? Yes. Am I happy that they're releasing tension? Yes. See, here's the thing with sound. This could go on like a whole nother riff, right? But like, <laughs> you can't turn off to it, right? Well, you can't. You this. I was going to say, this is a huge trigger for you too, because you're Sa- really sound, sound is a sensitive. Huge, I'm really sound sensitive. It's yeah. a huge trigger. But it is a sense that in a public environment, you can't turn off. Like you can't turn away from it. Right. <laughs> it just follows you. Right. Whereas if someone's like doing Natarajasana when everyone else is doing triangle, you could always look away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can look away. I get it. I can position myself at the very front of the room so I don't see anyone else. Right. But even like if someone whispers in class or someone starts like kind of chatting to their neighbor in class, which happens much more than it used to. It actually happens all the time. Damn it. It happens so much in teacher trainings. I literally can't believe it because you know who talks nonstop in class? Yoga teachers. When yoga teachers are taking other yoga teachers' classes in trainings, they feel like they have full license to verbally process things with their neighbors. <laughs> especially, like, especially like, Seriously, if I teach a simple arm bounce like bakasana, the amount of people that just have to talk about it afterwards it's funny. is mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Right? And I get it. I bust people's chops on this one all the time. But there was only one person that like he was such a moaner. And he was like a guy who was a much older guy. Aww. I know. But no, you would trust me. You So... It- this was a student, and so did you talk to him after class? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just like... Was he aware of it? So he was aware of it. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, you got to stop with the moaning. And he looks at me, he's like, he's like, really? And I'm like, yes. I'm like, you're in a public environment that's mostly full of much younger women, and it makes me feel really uncomfortable. I and mean, he's like, well, Okay. And then he disappeared for a period of time and then he came back and he doesn't moan anymore in class. That's good. And a part of our conversation, an empathetic part of our conversation could be like, a lot of times people don't have the capacity to pick up on social. Right, 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 right. Right? Yes. Right? Yes. Right? There's just a a lot of neurological types that don't pick up on... Nonverbal cues. On nonverbal cues and know kind of what's more or less appropriate in a social environment. It's really true. Yeah, And especially a physical physical social environment that's all about feeling good. Yeah. I think it's smart to assume the best. Yeah. Give people the benefit of the doubt that they just don't understand the effect of their behavior or they don't even notice some of their mannerisms and habits. And there are teachers that are like, that will tell someone that is moaning, yes, it feels good, go into that. But that is not 
so not me. I think if that were happening, that would be a full class. Like that happens when it's like, okay, everyone exhale and sigh together. Totally. That's different than like, I've never seen a teacher go up to someone who's moaning and be like, good more. I want more, more cowbell. Moan uh, some more. I, I have examples, but I will not talk about it on okay. air. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. We'll get into that later. Yeah. I always found it troubling that when people would skip Shavasana, when it would be time to do Shavasana and so, you know, three people like loudly roll up their mat and stomp out and slam the door. That always kind of was a pet peeve of mine. And then a friend slash colleague of mine, again, protecting everyone's identity, you, you might know who this is, told me in this sort of chirpy tone, she was like kind of new to yoga, but not brand new, that she loved to do headstand while everyone was doing shavasana. I was like, what? Why are you doing that? And she was just shocked. She's like, what do you mean? Like, I just want more of a workout and like, I want to do headstand. And if we haven't done headstand in class, it's the perfect time. It's the perfect time. It's quiet. And I just, I just do headstand. And it was like one of those moments for me that we're talking about where I was like, this person just doesn't understand that it's not okay. Well, I think it's disrespectful to everyone. Right. And they don't understand that, like, the teacher is actually teaching a subject. Yeah. And the subject that the teacher is teaching has been thought through. And you've gone to that class. And also, you have the opportunity to, to do your own practice at home and do whatever you want to do. But yeah, it's a very, to me, it's a very odd thing to to do that, or at least consistently. I have a student who does that. She's in class with me pretty much every week. She really likes headstand. She does like a one-minute headstand. She's silent. You know, like a lot of people in headstand are huff and puff. She's a really good headstand. She does headstand for the first minute of her shavasana, and then she does her shavasana. I have no problem with it. I've also gotten to know her well enough to know that the eight minutes that we spend in Shavasana might be a little long for her to be in Shavasana, mm-hmm. for her temperament. Mm-hmm. And what she gets from that one-minute headstand is important to her, and she's still also doing Shavasana. Mm-hmm. And she's totally non-disruptive. Mm-hmm. So that's, again, where, like, I don't have this hard and fast rule where when I teach, you do everything I say exactly as I say it, when I say it, and nothing else, right? That would be a crazy person. There are plenty of teachers like that. That I've actually always liked teachers like that, for the record. But I would take it on a case-by-case example, and I would say that the person that is totally off on their own flow, that's kind of one thing versus someone that sneaks one brief little thing in before the next thing, I'm okay with it. Right. Do you say anything before Shavasana like... Because I would say in certain environments, people are more likely to skip Shavasana than others. In gym environments, I've noticed that people are more likely to feel like, oh, it's... It's over now. The exercise part is over and I'm I'm done. Do you think it's wise to say anything? Like, I think Shavasana is really important. I think it's important to stay for Shavasana. But if you must, you know, leave early, yada, yada, yada. Like, do you ever say anything like that? Not anymore. Yeah. I used to say that a lot. I don't mind people leaving before Shavasana starts. I assume that they have something in their life that they need to attend to. And I mean, 
whether it's a 60 minute or a 90 minute class, it's still like a two or two and a half hour time commitment. And you and I as parents and like functional people in this world know that sometimes you sometimes you just have to go do the thing. I do get irritated when people leave mid Shavasana. It's like, you can't stay another two minutes. So I used to say, if you're going to leave, I'd rather you stay and get rest. But if you need to leave, go ahead and leave now. What I say now pretty much all the time is, because I, I teach an eight-minute Shavasana in all my classes, which to me is shorter than I used to. But I say, okay, we're going to spend eight minutes in Shavasana. If any of you would prefer to go to the wall and take legs up the wall or sit in meditation, you're welcome to. And I would say every class, there's five to 10 people that choose seated meditation. That Shavasana is just not a comfortable mentally, emotionally, physical place in a group for some people. And the reasons for that are, they're complicated. So I'd prefer to give them something else to just do at that time. Mm -hmm. The girlfriend helping the boyfriend. Hmm. This is a new phenomenon for you? I won't say it's that new, but it, it comes up. So the scenario is the experienced girlfriend brings the inexperienced boyfriend to not a level one class, not a beginner's class, but like a level two, three class. The boyfriend has never done yoga, but he's in decent shape, right? And so not only does she bring him, but she coaches him <laughs> and does is like a mini teacher to him in down dog and plank and chaturanga and up dog. And this has gotten so far and... Uh, many other students, many other uh, teachers have shared with me scenarios, and I've seen this too, of a similar situation of teachers that are taking class. So I'm teaching class. There's a teacher that is taking my class, and that teacher is giving people in class like cues and adjustments. I've seen it taken so far as during handstand, like teachers in the room, uninvited, helping other people to do poses that they're not invited to do. So this falls under the category of, of being like the unregistered teacher teaching in the room. And like, I understand where the sentiment comes from because you bring someone to class, you know that they are in good shape, but they don't have the specific skills and you want to help them out. But one, just trust that the teacher is competent and if something is so glaringly wrong that they're going to step in and they're going to help. And then also, I would be mortified. Like, yeah. if you and I... I always wonder how the partner is responding. I would assume, to. I mean, it's just projection because we don't know how other people feel, but I would, I would assume it'd be mortified. Like, it'd be like, if you took me to a dance class, yeah. I would want you to not know I was there. I wouldn't need you, like, nonstop correcting my positions. I think... Like you said, it comes probably, it comes from a place of being so excited to share this with your partner that you really, really want them to like it. And so you want them to, be totally. able to do it. So you want them to have a good experience and to feel good in their body. So you're like, duh, 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 duh. but yeah, I would imagine that it backfires most times. I mean, look, all of these things we're talking about, they come from a good place, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. whether it's the person doing their own thing or person moaning or person freelancing and helping someone else in class. Or the having the verbal processing between yoga postures. 
it all comes from a good place, but it can sometimes lack a clear social protocol. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So none of these things are malicious. None of these things are bad things. All of these things are just slightly lacking in social protocol about how to behave in a complex situation. So what do you do about the girlfriend helping the boyfriend or the, oh, or the teacher that situation, helping the hamster? Oh, in that situation all the time. I tell people, I'm like, I got it. I got it. Do your own practice. He's fine. Do your own practice. He's fine. Yeah. Yeah. This happened within the last four weeks. Yeah. Do your own practice. He's fine. Anything that comes up that needs to be dealt with, my eyes are on him. Don't worry. And then the guy looks up and silently mouths to you, thank you. Pretty much. Yeah. (laughs) And you know who you never see again? That guy. I was thinking that. Yeah. Do you ever? Yeah. Not often. They don't come back. Not very often. Yeah. So, and then of course, if someone's assisting someone uninvited into a pose, like a handstand, oh, I you would just I go would, right over. Oh, a hundred percent. Crazy. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, there's one teacher teaching that class when yeah. I'm in it, you yeah. know? And I will say like, it, it's not just my 300 hour trainings, but also in like weekend trainings, I tell people straight up like, okay, if we do this partner handstand, please... When I ask everyone to stop and come watch and, you know, come reassemble, please come. And it is still, it takes so long. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. There's one more thing I thought of, which I just thought of the story that you told when you were in Germany and you were at Dirk and Kubi's uh-huh. studio, which I can't remember the name of their studio in Hamburg. Uh, Power Yoga Hamburg, I Yeah, think. yeah, yeah. And Dirk had some, didn't he have some announcements at the beginning of class? Yes. I just thought it would be kind of funny to share that, to just show that people have different approaches. So I was in Hamburg teaching Power Yoga Germany and Dirk, who was, I don't know if Dirk was the co-owner, but he gave this kind of, fairly punctual speech in German at the beginning of class. And then he looked over at me and said, would you like to know what I just said? And I was like, sure. And he said, I told all of the men in this room, there are only two rules here. Number one, wear your shirt when you practice yoga. No woman in this room wants your sweat on them. Number two, men, all of our bathrooms are unisex. Sit down when you need to pee. <laughs> I thought that is this the most thoughtful totally thing coming from a man because it's such an all totally it's a mostly female environment. So mostly it's female so environment. nice to ask people to totally. adjust their behavior accordingly. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I had never really thought about it in those terms, but I won't talk about restroom rules, but I have never taken my shirt off in public class. No. Mostly because I don't want people to be so distracted. By your the bright white light that oh will God. be beaming off of your skin. Yeah. You know, for him to make that announcement, I talked to him for a while afterwards. And he said, you know, we just, we just got so many complaints. Mm. And our complaints were only like two complaints. And they were these two things, you know. And he's like, so at the beginning of every workshop and most classes that I teach, I say the same thing. And he's like, our studio is 80% women, it's 20% men, and I'm a man, and when I'm using a unisex bathroom that is mostly used by women, I have the capacity to sit down. (laughs) 
And I also, I'm a yoga practitioner and I'm a man and I have the capacity to keep a shirt on because I sweat. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so it's just... It was also nice that it came from him. A hundred percent. That he, because there's a female partner as well at the yeah. studio. And so she didn't have to get up there and yeah. scold everyone he did. And Dirk is a professional bodyguard too. So Big guy. <laughs> yeah. He was, Big German guy. He would, he would definitely be the kind of person that any other man in that room would listen to. Right. <laughs> yeah. He wields a certain amount of authority just by his physical presence. Yes. Yeah. 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 Are there any other scenarios you can think of that people might be thinking about? I think that those are the big ones. Mm -hmm. You know, as a yoga teacher, you're teaching a live environment, which is why you make so many mistakes. It's why I make so many mistakes. It's a live environment. And it's full of humans. And it's full of humans doing physical stuff in a broader culture that sometimes isn't clear in what the desired outcomes are. And it's it can be a very non-structured, physical, public environment. And that kind of thing, like, that brings the weird out. And I'm all for weird and idiosyncratic behavior. And, but at the same time, it's a social environment. It's a learning environment. It's We don't want to be too uptight about these things, but I think the bottom line is, as the teacher, you have to step back and ask yourself whether or not behavior that's playing out in that room is behavior that you need to specifically address because it is actually likely to bear an impact on the group as a whole, mm -hmm. or whether or not it just kind of gets your ire because it undermines you. And if it's the latter, that's legit, mm -hmm. right? And know that every other yoga teacher deals with it. I was saying this to you the other day. Someone said something negative about the podcast and on Instagram. And I, it's not that I lacked compassion for it, but I'm like, I still have at least one person a week leave my class early. Mm -hmm. So it's like, just know as a yoga teacher, if these things happen, they happen to all teachers. And yet at the same time, if there is something that's disruptive enough, and consistent enough that you need to address it, address it offline, be direct, be succinct, or ask management to deal with it. One more quick thing was I remember at the Bay Club, there was a body odor issue with someone. Mm. And we had a lot of complaints mm. about a body odor issue. And I was managing at the time. I told the teachers, look, this isn't on you. This is on me. Like, this is a management issue. You know, so you kind of have to decide whether or not it's a management issue and it's someone at the front desk needs to deal with this or someone that runs the studio needs to deal with it. Or if it's a, hey, you just need to ask that guy to not moan quite so heavily in. Right. Well, it sounds like if that person takes several different teachers' class, people from several different classes are complaining about the same thing, a manager could deal with them instead of like five teachers telling that yeah. person. Yeah. But if you feel like... It's specific to your way of teaching in your class. Yeah. Yeah. If it is something where, you know, you feel like someone is doing their own thing to a degree that they might run into someone and hurt someone, that that might be a safety issue that's also like a front of the house management thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it's going to happen. It's always going to happen. And just remember, doing a couple arm balances is not an invitation for lunch. This is not a moment for everyone to just chat about what happened. Oh, I'm like, 
for lunch. I could not understand. That's what it sounds like. It literally sounds like after Bachhausen, it sounds like the whole room was having lunch together. And this is during This is everywhere now. This is like in all situations. You know, long ago, I remember hearing that that's what it was like taking class in Italy. I remember people saying, oh my gosh, in Italy, everyone just talks the whole class. It's it's insane. That's funny. Yeah, Yeah. that's different. That's different. Yeah. The ex-dancer in me feels, hearing that feels like very disapproving because so much of what you're learning when you're in martial arts and dance situations is you're learning that self-discipline is part of the practice. Yes, it's like taking that energy. So it's unfortunate that people don't don't see that anymore. At the same time, when I'm in a class, I tend to be pretty forgiving of people around me doing their own thing because I just feel like, oh, they got to do what they got to do. Unless it's like someone who's kicking up into handstand and they look like they're going to follow me and then I get super pissed off. Yeah. But yeah, it's something just for people to think about. Like the yoga room is, it's a classroom and it's respectful to the teacher to be quiet and listen to the <laughs> yes. teacher. It's respectful to the teacher around you, <laughs> the people around you. And it's it's a form of self-discipline to not follow every impulse to chat. I think that's a big part of it for me. It's like, I understand that doing two arm balances in a row is stimulating. Yeah. Well, it's just take that in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Take it in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can handle it. Don't need to talk about it. You can manage it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll end on that note. Thanks, Jason. Thanks so much for listening. I'll put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 169. And I will put links to those two blog posts that Jason mentioned that prompted this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it wherever you do your social sharing, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We really appreciate it. And leave us a five-star rating and review. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm